Welcome to another edition of the Albany Law School Podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Associate Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this edition of the podcast, we're speaking with another one of our new faculty members, Mike Wetmore, class of 2014, but he's also a new visiting assistant professor of law here at the law school. Before we get to Mike, though, reminders up at the top of the show, as we always do, albanylaw.edu slash COVID-19. Make sure you're up to date on all of our policies here at the law school. If you like this episode of the podcast, you want to hear more, you can subscribe on any of the major podcast services, or of course, you can check out our SoundCloud account. And if you want to stay up to date on the day-to-day here at Albany Law, so many important and fun things going on, especially this time of year, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Those are the best ways to do that. All right, let's talk to Mike. Back here on the Albany Law School podcast with Mike Whitmore, class of 2014, but even more important to us now, our new one of our newest visiting assistant professors of law. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. We love talking to students, of course, on the podcast, but as we've gotten into the semester here and we've gotten a couple new faculty that we'll be able to get on the show. People love to hear from our faculty as well. So accomplished. What a great group of, of people. And and Mike, we're like I said, we're a couple weeks into the fall semester here as a new faculty member. How's it been going? Uh, it's, it's going great. We're actually, we're, we're at the halfway point and probably some change, I think. It's it's unreal to me that, that it's flying by this this fast. So I'm, I'm here on a two-year visitorship and it is flying by really right before my eyes, but it's, it's uh, going great. Currently, I'm in the middle of grading my evidence midterms that I did a take-home midterm that was just administered this past weekend. Uh, the week before that, my trial practice class, uh, we did depositions as our midterm for that class. We had a real stenographer come in and transcribe the depositions so students could have the practice of uh, speaking on the record. Uh, shout out to Hannah Murgis, class of 2024. I think you just had her on the podcast. She was one of our deponents. She was our plaintiff in our case, as well as uh, Max Beyer, who I think was a 2018 graduate. He played our defendant deponent. But I mean, that, that's that's really just the in-class time. When, when I was a student here, I wanted to make the the most of my time. I, I wanted to be as involved as possible, try as much as possible, accomplish as much as possible. And I'm trying to really do the same as a member of the faculty. Um, for just for example, one of the things that I think is most important is is really being accessible to uh, the students. But it, it makes for certainly some very long days responding to emails kind of at odd hours, but the students seem to appreciate it. I like it. But like I said, it really does make the time fly. And you, you mentioned being a student here, but then for some reason you came back here as a faculty member. Why would you want to be a faculty member? <laughs> well, anyone who knows me uh, here or outside of the school, they, they know teaching is, is probably my greatest passion. I think it comes from really a combination of a couple of things. First, I, I always wanted to be 
a trial lawyer. Uh, even when I was in high school, I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And, and I was a trial lawyer for, for a time. And if you think about it, a lot of the uh, trial skills are transferable to teaching. You, you need to convey a lot of material to an audience, uh, make sure that they understand it, make sure they absorb it. You need to hold their attention. You need to entertain them sometimes to hold their attention. You need to do so with uh, credibility. I really try to bring a lot of those skills. I'm noticing I, I do. I try to bring a lot of those skills uh, into the, the classroom. So I, I would say that's the first part. At, at the same time, when I was a student here, I really had great mentors who showed me how to be an effective advocate, how to be a hard worker, how to be a good student. Uh, people gave me the skills here that were really necessary to just make me be an effective, productive professional in our community. I, I had teachers who were so dedicated to my success that it was really inspiring. And I actually started teaching on the side in 2016, and, and I've never stopped. Uh, I was an adjunct at the College of St. Rose up until I became an adjunct here last year. And now I'm, I'm really so excited to see this is finally taking shape for me. Trial practice one and two, civil. Okay, so what are these courses? What are in these courses that you're teaching? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> trial practice uh, two is, is going to be taught in the uh, spring uh, semester. I'm teaching trial practice one now. Both are uh, civil trial practice courses. Uh, they both teach uh, litigation skills in civil the civil realm. Uh, trial practice one is our pre-trial course that covers all of the skills up to actually going into the courtroom and picking a jury. We cover client interviewing and counseling, fact investigation, uh, discovery and motion practice, depositions, uh, settlement negotiations, everything that would be occurring in a civil case pre-trial, I try to touch upon just to uh, teach students some of those skills. Trial practice two, on the other hand, is your in-courtroom skills. That's that's going to be practicing uh, opening statements, uh, witness examinations, both crosses and directs, introducing evidence, making use of exhibits, as well as delivering closing arguments. All right. Well, we, you, that'd be enough, of course, but we don't let you off the hook there. Then you have <laughs> evidence and criminal law. You said you were a prosecutor. What are in those courses? <laughs> sure, sure. So evidence and criminal law, both, both of these are uh, doctrinal courses required for all uh, JD students here. Criminal law is taught uh, traditionally in the spring semester of the uh, 1L year for students. I know the spring starts, sometimes they, they hit it at other points, but uh, traditionally it taught in the spring semester of the 1L year, and it covers the, the basic principles of Anglo-American criminal law, in, including the constituent elements of crimes, the necessary predicates for criminal liability, defenses to crime, uh, and other really basic fundamental principles. There's also some emphasis on structure and the interpretation of modern penal codes, just in the event that students are out there engaged in practice in those 
areas. Evidence is an upper level uh, required course traditionally taken in your second year, but I just learned I have a lot of uh, third year students in uh, my class this semester. That class studies uh, the federal rules of evidence and the extent to which those rules constrain proof offered in criminal and civil trials. These are like the rules of relevance, hearsay, impeachment, authenticating and identifying exhibits, uh, scientific and expert opinion evidence. Uh, there's also some discussion as to like the constitutional limits of these rules as well that I try to sprinkle on. Now you're touching on all these different kind of, there's some introductory things, there's some more in-depth things. Why I guess just as a new faculty member coming into this fresh, why is it important for students to be exposed to all these different general areas? Why have these different areas of law, this kind of holistic approach versus, you know, I just want to be a tax lawyer and all I do is go to school for tax law. Why is it important that I take these other courses and have this more well-rounded experience? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question, particularly because a lot of these classes give a lot of students a lot of grief, a lot of stress. And so that's a really good question. And I, and I would say, you know, like all doctrinal courses, uh, certainly the two I'm teaching, they form the building blocks of legal practice. Separate and apart from them being bar courses, uh, they really do give you the fundamentals for going out there uh, being a lawyer, even if you're, you want to be a tax attorney, even if you don't want to be in litigation, there's still good skills to know. They, they teach you the, the black letter law on certain points. And I think also there's the passive uh, skills where students are still learning to think like a lawyer. Um, that's happening in the background. It's not something that we talk about, but it's something I think that, that occurs as you start to wrap your head around what are the components of all crimes? What are the essential elements for all crimes? And I'm just using criminal law as an example. C criminal law is, is really premised on the idea that society can condemn conduct and punish its citizens for acting out. And you know what, what makes that okay? What, what are the theories behind punishing members of society? What, what is it that makes certain conduct reprehensible in the eyes of society versus other types of conduct? So, you know, we, we need to be able to answer those questions before going out into practice. And, you know, in, in, in advocacy, no matter where we land, we wield the law like a tool. We use it to persuade our audience uh, to compel outcomes. And I think having a better understanding of some of its deeper meaning, how it operates, uh, helps us more effectively do that. You're talking on the criminal side there for for a little while, and I think that's kind of a a natural place where you kind of fall because before you joined us here, or and I think while you were working as an adjunct, you were also in the Albany County District Attorney's Office, I believe, on both the trial and the appellate side, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Now, we've all seen Law & Order, but does a trial or appellate prosecutor really do like what Sam Watterson's doing up there every week? <laughs> so, so, you know, I actually, I got to confess, I have never seen 
Law and Order. I've never seen. Wow, I think you might be the first lawyer that's never seen Law and Order. (laughs) Whenever someone, you know, whenever you're in that setting where you got to give like a fun fact about yourself, that's always my fun fact, and it's not really fun if you think about it. (laughs) Law and Order and be a practicing attorney, but but uh, that's usually my go-to. But but really, they they are, I think, two two different kinds of prosecutor in a sense, right? So a prosecutor in general is uh, charged with presenting cases against those who've been accused of committing a crime. But, you know, there's there's a lot more uh, to it than that. A, a trial prosecutor, for example, spends uh, most of their time in the litigation stages of criminal cases. And when I was doing that, I've, I've been involved in putting cases together from the start, interviewing witnesses, reviewing arrest files, conducting grand jury investigations, uh, all the way through selecting a jury, delivering closing arguments, doing doing a trial. But I, I actually started out in appeals, though, when I first got hired in the office. Appellate prosecutors, they, they actually handle things on the back end, right? So when someone is convicted of a crime uh, in New York, they have an appeal as of right to a higher court. The person uh, convicted gets to argue any errors that they believe occurred in the trial court in connection with their conviction. And as a prosecutor handling appeals, uh, your job is to work to to defend and protect uh, that conviction uh, so that it isn't reversed or vacated and, and certainly be on the lookout for any errors, try to rectify those errors if they you know, come to happen. So very two different, I think, responsibilities. And I'm glad I got to do both. Um, I, I didn't want to go to appeals when I was first hired there. It was was not like my, my choice. And when I interned in the office, it's not an area that I ever even experienced. And and I loved it though. It was it was some of my best memories were in that unit, working on those types of cases and the experiences that I had there. So like I said, very two different kinds of uh, prosecutors, very different types of responsibilities. So I'm glad I got to experience both. Now, there's kind of a hybrid here between uh, your experience there and then us here at Albany Law School, I, th- I think at least, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the New York State or New York Prosecutors Training Institute and the New York State Bar Association's tra- Trial Academy, excuse me. Now, you're working with both of those. Like I said, they're not law schools. They're not maybe litigation wings, but what are those organizations? What are the goals of those organizations? Yeah, that that's that's essentially volunteer work that I've done uh, over the years. I wouldn't call myself like a, affiliated with them, and I'm a member of the faculty or anything. Um, I've really just helped them out on on various occasions. N- NIPTI, uh, for example, the New York Prosecutors Training Institute. That's a resource for all uh, district attorneys' offices uh, in New York State. They they have a a great and knowledgeable staff of their own who help uh, really, I think, in many ways, bridge the line of communication between offices all over, especially in smaller counties. Uh, their biggest work, though, at least in my opinion, is, is probably the organizing and structuring of uh, CLEs, continuing uh, legal ed that they do for prosecutors uh, in New York State and the courses that they offer. A lot of their uh, programs that they put together, they're skills-based, uh, where they have 
kind of geared toward new prosecutors practicing uh, courtroom skills. And there's a component of their uh, CLE programs, the skills-based CLE programs, uh, where the students are critiqued by other prosecutors in the community. I would uh, volunteer as a guest critiquer, really, whenever they asked, whenever they uh, needed me. NISBA, uh, on the other hand, the State Bar Association, uh, the, my experience with them, at least with the, the uh, trial academy, essentially the same thing. Every spring, um, I think we had a couple of years off due to COVID, but every spring the uh, young lawyers section hosts a uh, trial academy. It used to be in Cornell, now it's in Syracuse, where new lawyers from all walks of life, prosecutors, uh, criminal defense attorneys, uh, plaintiff's attorneys, civil defense attorneys, aspiring to be any. Lawyers from all walks of life, they come in, they learn basic courtroom skills. Uh, it's a week-long program. Each day is broken up into uh, different topical seminars, direct examinations one day, cross-examinations next, for example. And after each seminar, each lesson, the lawyers, they, they practice those skills using like a mock trial problem. And uh, like NIPTI, they would have outside critiquers to come in and I'd help them out again when, whenever I was available. So like I said, it, it's, it's work that I, I love doing because there is a teaching component to it, uh, but it really is. It's just volunteer work that I've done. Now, you mentioned uh, mock trials there. And when you were here as a student, from everything I've been able to gather, you're pretty active in the moot court program, correct? I mean, how I would imagine that's pretty influential how your career has gone. Very much so. I tried to be as involved as I could with anything related to uh, moot court. I had a partner and I, we both competed together in the client counseling uh, competition here, as well as the negotiations competition, both in school, the both Donna Jo Morse competitions. And at the time, I don't know if this is still true. I, I, I'm not sure if there have been any other teams who've accomplished this, but my partner and I, Brittany Rosano, she's a uh, 2014 graduate as well. Uh, we won both of those competitions on the same academic year. So I, I think that that would have been fall of 2013, we won client counseling, and then uh, spring of 14, we won the negotiations competition. And and I also, I, it's kind of ironic because you, you don't really think about prosecutors engaged in settlement negotiations or client interviewing and counseling, but I, I was always very quick to correct, I think, that misconception for people because the skills that you're practicing are are transferable in client counseling you're conducting fact investigation you're doing legal analysis often on the fly in very limited time to brainstorm and think with respect to both competitions there's a human component it's about connecting it's about socializing and, and practicing those social skills and having a conversation uh, with people and taking that conversation to a certain point, having a certain goal in mind, identifying what those goals are. And all of those skills I wound up using uh, in my career as a prosecutor and really just in, in human life. And so I, I would say that it definitely helped me uh, in a variety of ways. Now, I know you're also coming back here to the school, working with the MOOCOR program again, and we 
we hear so often from uh, the students who are involved in the competition part of it, but you're coaching, you're coaching the, the students through moot court. What is the point of view of a coach in that system or in that organization that's different than maybe a student would experience? I think one of the one of the things that coaches have really going for them, and in the, in the competition I help uh, coach the most that I've done uh, continuously uh, since I graduated was the client counseling competition. I, uh, Professor Connors is actually the coach, and I've always came in and assisted him as as much as he would let me. And uh, one one year we were able to take a team. Uh, to the internationals uh, client counseling competition. Uh, I did not travel with the team. I, I obviously love helping out that particular competition, certainly as a special place in, in my heart. But I think that one of the major differences between coaches and students is the bit of perspective that coaching has. Uh, for example, I, I've been through the competition before. I have been in practice for X number of years, right? So I think it's helpful to the students to come in, work through problems, brainstorm problems with them, offer that perspective in a way that encourages them to really start to orbit legal scenarios. And I think that's what ultimately can can really help set teams aside in competitions is, is a, a student's ability to orbit a problem effectively, uh, see all sides of it, uh, see it through and through, identify uh, areas uh, worth exploring, identify characters, identify pieces to a problem, identify flaws in someone's logic. And I think when someone has perspective like like a coach does, it can be very helpful to the team, really can open their eyes on what they need to do uh, to maybe improve how they can incorporate certain skills into uh, their performances. And, and so I, I know it's just, it's very different from uh, when I was a student and really I was very limited to what I knew as a student. Um, I think that uh, coaching is really helpful uh, in that area. Well, if you're just a coach, I mean, that would be enough as well. But you're also advising in in the senior prize trials as we're recording here in mid-October. They're coming up in just a couple of weeks. What's it like being an advisor versus even being a coach? I honestly, I'm still figuring that out. It's, it's only my first year. Uh, but I, I have a sense that uh, we should get Jackie on here. I, I have a sense that... <laughs> Changes with the season, and I don't, I don't mean the, the natural seasons. I mean the, the season of the competition. I have a change, a sense that it changes with the season. And, and I gotta say, first, you know, we have a great pair of students running uh, the, that competition this year, and and also a very hardworking board putting all of these competitions. Uh, together. So there's very little that I've actually had to do. But really what I, I have been doing is I, I just have tried to be a person to bounce ideas off of. When Jackie, Jackie and Claire put together a very interesting criminal mock trial problem, and they did it in a pretty short period of time too, 
uh, we, when they were doing that, we spent a lot of time brainstorming what types of issues and characters uh, could be woven into the problem. I gave some feedback on uh, some submissions that they had put together. Actually, I will say probably most interesting and, and the hardest work that I've actually done, uh, there's a couple of uh, photographs that are exhibits in the problem. And I actually uh, created those exhibits. I, I took the photographs myself. We needed um, some vials of some uh, colored chemicals. And so I got some food coloring. I got some fake vials that I had from an, an exercise that I used to do with my college students. And uh, we the, the setting for the photographs was a refrigerator in a, in a lab. So I cleared out my refrigerator and I, I kind of uh, posed these vials in the fridge and I took took the picture. So that's the hardest work that I've done. But, but really, mo most of all, um, I, I just uh, I try to be a support person for the students uh, who are really working hard to bring the competition uh, together. Wh whatever they need, whatever they want feedback on, I'm there for it. And, and I suppose that's you know really at the heart of advising a huge program like Senior Prize. So I'm happy to do it. We're right on the brink of the lightning round, but kind of like a, a buildup, a, a ramp question to the lightning round here. Why'd you want to become an attorney at all? Why'd you want to go down this road? Was there inspiration or was it just serendipity? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I wouldn't say there was like one event that really inspired me to. The attorney that I wanted to be was a prosecutor. And I, I will say I... All of that, I suppose it's it's just thanking mom and dad. I, I was raised that way. I came from a family of public service, um, and it always appealed to me to be in a position where I can help and then actually help and, and be a productive member of my community. That, that idea, that sense of service uh, always appealed to me, always interested me. And I took a vocational class in high school, and it was a criminal justice vocational class and, taught by a, a lawyer. And his name was uh, John Amia, also an Albany alum, although I'm not sure what year he graduated. And he was just very impressive to me. I liked his sense of professionalism. I liked the manner in which he taught us the law for the, the legal aspects of the criminal justice course. And that piqued my interest. And I just said to myself, you know, I think I want to do that. And I maintained, you know, a criminal justice background. Uh, and it just kind of fell into, you know, being a prosecutor was where I landed. So it's it's not really a, an incredibly exciting story. I'll say it's kind of a traditional story of you know, I was just, just raised a certain way. I had some values instilled on me at a pretty young age and was interested in, in the field and pursued it. The loss of maybe engineering or baking or whatever is our gain here in the legal community. But even with that upbringing, I don't know if you're ready for the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready, Ben. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Lightning round question number one. So this is a back to school question. And we all remember those uh, boxes of the 64 crayons. Everybody loved the 64 crayon boxes with a little sharpener in the back. <laughs> so Mike, which, which color in there are you using first? And then which are you going to try and hang on to for as long as possible? 
so I got to confess too. I don't, this might be maybe a bit of the law student still in me. Maybe I'm analyzing this too much. I really <laughs> cannot remember what my options are. I can't remember what, what crayons are in the 64 box of crayons. And well, this is, I don't, I, I will say, then this is my, my fault here. I do not have the full roster of yeah. all the colors in front of me. <laughs> but I mean, I really should know that this is coming from a kid who had, uh, well, a guy who, had, when he was a kid, had the first 100 count box of crayons when I was in kindergarten. Um, wow. so I, I have no excuse. I really should know. But I, I mean, that's a really good question. And let's see. It is a lightning round, so I do feel well, some. What, let me let me let me modify it a little bit then. You see, you had to do the food coloring in the bo- in the vials. Which one of those did you were you most impressed that you were able to get that color when you had to do all the food coloring <laughs> in the vials? Yeah, so that was um, we were trying to come up with two very similar shades of of brown, basically, uh, because we have two different vials that we wanted to look similar in color. So I wound up experiencing with the red, yellow, and blue uh, food coloring. And it actually just, it really wasn't working. It was either way, way too dark and you couldn't make it out in the photos. Um, So what I wound up using, I had some honey and I wound up taking the honey and mixing that with red food coloring to produce the the color we were looking for. And then I just, you know, added some more uh, food coloring to to darken it a little bit to, you know, affect my shade. I thought outside the box. (laughs) Ingenuity. That's great. Right. Right. Now, you've been around here in upstate New York for a couple of years. You've experienced these New York winters. We like to give out uh, advice here on the podcast. What can you tell students that maybe aren't used to these upstate New York winters? What what should they be prepared for up here? Yeah, so also quick quick bit of trivia, Ben. I'm actually from Watertown, New York. Um, oh, okay, so you're way up there. 20 minutes south of Canada. Uh, <laughs> some people even tell me I have a bit of a of like a faint Canadian accent, which I don't know if that's true or not. But um, it's I'm I was from about uh, 20 minutes south of the Canadian border. Uh, we were notoriously impacted by lake effect snow from Lake Ontario, and we had some rough winters. So the first thing I'll say is, you know, it can always be worse. Um, <laughs> but I, I also, when I was in law school, I used to live on J Street here in Albany uh, in the Center Square neighborhood just off of Lark. And something that threw me for a loop, it's all on-street parking. Uh, so if you're in that camp, you know, if you're a first year student still getting settled, living in a neighborhood like that or living with on street parking, be mindful of those snow emergencies. They will mess with your whole parking situation. You got to be off the road. Otherwise, you could get towed or boxed in. And it's just can really crop up and get you when, you know, you're focused on you know, maybe a quiz you got coming up or a midterm or something like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, my goodness, I forgot to move my car and now I have a boot on or something like that. So that's my advice. Kind of tricks of the trade is just pay close attention to those darn snow emergencies. I I got a number. I don't even know if I should say this. I got a number of parking tickets when I lived in that neighborhood. And Albany is tough enough in the summer. Yeah, it it really adds up. So just be mindful of that stuff for our winters because it changes the whole landscape. It really does. <laughs> All right, last question of the lightning round. Simple question, but has had a, a myriad of different answers. 
what's your favorite animal? <laughs> I'm a dog guy. Yeah, we always had dogs growing up. Is Mainly there a particular dog. kind of dog? So my family was a boxer family. We we loved uh, kind of the playful personalities of boxers, and they just seemed like an all-around good family dog. And My family, they're on their third boxer. We had two when I was living there, and then they, they got another one here a few years ago. Um, but also, we, we actually, my sister wanted a toy poodle uh, when I was living there. I was younger, and so my parents bought her a toy poodle, which was supposed to be for her, and uh, he just wound up, he was a very temperamental guy. His name was Floyd. And he wound up just really liking me and always hanging out with me, always hanging out in my room with me, following me around, sleeping in my bed. He was just, he was kind of my buddy as well. So just and no special kind of dogs, uh, no breed or anything, but I'm definitely a dog guy. All right. Last question here on the podcast. Always the same question for every single one of our guests. Is there anything you'd like to say to the Albany Law School community? Having listened to the podcast a little bit, I get a sense that a lot of people say this, but really just just make the most of your time here. This is a very special institution for most of the students. You'll be here three years and then you'll move on. So try to take advantage of everything you can here. Reach out, connect, make friends. Uh, These are connections that you'll take with you. Uh, to the ends of your careers, and they'll start here. They're starting right now in in our very own classrooms, in our hallways. Uh, I'm very close friends with people I met during my first week of uh, 1L orientation. So take take full advantage of it. And and if you're not a student, if you're a part of this community in other ways, take a moment to pause, uh, reflect, uh, and, and just appreciate what we have here appreciate this community as you know as a member of the faculty i can say that this semester is flying by faster than any of the semesters that i had as a student and i I expect the future semesters will only uh, move faster Uh, so take a moment to stop and and just really appreciate the community that we have here mike webmar thank you so much for joining us here on the albany law school podcast really really appreciate it Thank you so much, Ben Myers, for having me. I really appreciate it.